This is F Society IRC Podcast, a Mr. Robot show. I'm your moderator of this chat, Hiroja Shai. Please note that this podcast will have spoilers. In this chat, we will discuss the underlying themes, historical influences, inspirations, technology, ethical dilemmas, and other inspirational insights we have gleaned from each episode of the first season of Mr. Robot. We will be bringing on experts to share their insights and knowledge with us in each chat. We will also be reviewing each episode of the first season, as well as the second season when it premieres. We are awake, we are free, we are alive for F Society IRC Podcast. Hello, F Society RMC Podcast. This is your host, Rosa Shive, and we're here with another review of episode 8 and 5. Uh, in this episode, I've literally watched it like three times, and while I enjoyed parts of this episode, I, I don't feel this was the best episode of Mr. Robot. Um, I feel it's like one of those episodes where we're not given the complete... Com- picture and it literally takes other episodes to kind of fill in what we solved. Maybe like maybe the season finale episodes will like stick the landing to make this episode make sense. But on it on its own, I had some issues with it and it mostly has to do with the whole Elliot Mr. Robot kind of burnout switcheroo that's going on. And we're gonna say that for the the end part of the episode. Um, but the other parts like the Angela storyline, Dom uh, Darlene's part, even the White Rose part, I, I really enjoyed that part of the episode. It's really, really for the first time, it's Elliot's storyline that I just really particularly do not, do not like. So what we're going to do is we're going to start with the stronger parts. Uh, I think they really are filling in a lot of the, the questions that we have about the show in itself, like what's going on, uh, what's going on with E-Corp, what's going on with F-Society, what's going on with uh, Dark Army, what the plan is, what stage two is, what is the next step. So let's begin with Angela. Uh, we pretty much pick up, I'm assuming it's it's been a little bit because we're starting, everyone's synced in together. We're starting with, um, we're starting in the same spot. Uh, Elliot was in jail, moving them from his storyline, 86 days. So that puts them out leaving the jail around August 5th, August 7th. So it's been about a month since July 4th. It's been a month since the bailout event actually didn't happen. That's pretty much clarified for us. It's been a month since uh, Susan Jacob has died. It's been a month since Angela has moved to the risk management area. So a significant portion of time has passed for everybody. And we also learned that it's been at least over three weeks or a month since Moby and Trenton have gone missing. So here we are with Angela. And she's trying to get into Joe Green's office. Joe Green actually is, is something that um, Sam Ramey does where he does these shout outs for New York shows. Joe Green is from Friends. It's the name of the Christmas Arvark that Ross uh, made up to kind of get his son into Hanukkah to kind of get him to be, is like the Han, I think, yeah, it was like the Hanukkah Arvark to get him involved and in, in touch with the Jewish roots because he was really focused on Christmas. So that was like a little Easter Easter egg there. And I also believe that Joe Green might in fact actually be the older man that Angela was associating herself with um, at that karaoke bar. But then again, that could be a totally different guy. So she's trying to get into Joe Green's office. And Joe Green is the counselor in charge of the Flint Water Crisis Project. Uh, He's the lawyer involved there. So 
she does a bit of social engineering. She takes a dongle from her last episode, or escapade, I should say, with F Society. And she uses it to allow her to get gain access to the receptionist. So she does a bit of social engineering. She convinces the receptionist to leave her desk and to come downstairs so that Angela can get access to her desk. So she sticks the USB stick in there. She's allowing the process to occur. The USB stick, what is what is doing is it's basically scraping information and, and allowing her access um, passwords, which takes only about 90 seconds to do. A guy comes by and calls her Monica, thinking that maybe she's the receptionist. He like looks at her for a second. Angela stares back at him. And he goes, Monica, if you let Joe know I'm coming by. And Angela's like, not a good idea. And then goes on and copies the files and, and gets what she needs. She goes back to her office, uh, gains the access to the, the passwords that she needs, gains access to the files for not only the Flint water stuff, but she's just primarily focused on the Washington Township stuff and just basically downloads all the information that she obviously hasn't been able to gain access to. She was never given access as her idea or plan or thought um, as a risk management person to gain access to those files. Now she has them. Another tidbit is um, the music kind of stops when she's done. She ha- uh, The music just for this particular episode is just on fire. I'm going to have a link in the show notes to the, the man who's responsible for that. I can't pronounce his last name, but um, Mark, he's been doing the whole the whole season and last season as well. And it's just, it's just, it's gone, it sings so well. It's almost like another character, much like New York is a character on the show. The music in itself is almost like another character uh, within the, the series. Um, another little bit of thing I, I wanted to touch on is the fact that the guy that didn't recognize Angela assumed that she was the receptionist. is a bit of a, another showcase, it was, which is in part of Angela's whole entire storyline about kind of the misogyny as part of the corporate world that she has to deal with on a daily basis. And even then, just not just in the, the corporate world, but as a woman, a lot of the misogyny that she has been experiencing and pushing it back against. So Angela decides to take all this information she's downloaded to the nuclear uh, regulatory board. And this is where the first revelation where we finally have an understanding what the water, what the Washington Township plant is. It is a nuclear power plant. It wasn't just an ode when we saw during the 90s as Syscom escapade there for the title sequence of Mr. Robot. His father really did work at a nuclear power plant. It wasn't an ode to like the sitcom for the Simpsons. Uh, which kind of is going to change and kind of blew up my theory about the Washington Township like was being built there. But not necessarily the significance. So she goes there, she's giving all the information and the regulatory guy that she's talking to, he's kind of flabbergasted by the information. And Angela asks him, you know, are these, you know, the radiation levels, this, this is, what is, what does this mean? He goes, this is way above regulation for a nuclear power plant. I mean, it's a public safety hazard. It's like, he's shocked. He's, he, I think he's even a little bit scared, really. Um, but he tells her, you know, as a whistleblower, she can get, you know, money and stuff like that. And he's, She's like, I, I don't want anything that, about that. I just want this basically to be exposed. He goes, you know, we, we'll protect your an, an, anonymity. I, I got to talk to my direct, deputy director, to Phillips, and talk about this. So she's sitting in his office. And um, he's sitting there for a while. I guess she came there like almost kind of midday-ish. And she goes down there with his material. 
and she's she's kind of freaking out. She's been in this office for a while. She's observant of the camera. It's pretty high tech. She's being watched out. Uh, there was a brownout happening. You know, the brownouts is when you know the power kind of goes and goes out for a little bit. And a woman walks in. She's like, she's like, she's she says she's Jeffrey Decker Phillips, and who knows who she actually is? And she goes, oh, this is just a brownout. Uh, Common Electric is on strike, which is another indication of kind of the where we're seeing the increasing ratchetness or ratcheting up of the economic woes that everyone's experiencing because of the hack. Uh, I'm assuming because much like what happened during the last economic crisis, because of budget cuts, because people are either getting furloughed or losing their job or having their pay cut. Um, these guys are going on strike because I no doubt they're experiencing the same thing because it's of the economic crisis that happened in 2000, you know, between the period of, Really, it's like 2006, 2009, but for the most part, most numbers put it like 2007, 2009. I'm thinking people are not going to tolerate that any longer. They've been through that process before. They don't want to go through that process again, and that's why I'm thinking the strike is happening. So the deputy director, Phillips, says, you know, come with me. Um, Starts asking some really probing questions of Angela. She's like, where did you come from? Are you from Jersey? Are you from New York? And Angela's like, I, I thought I was going to be anonymous. And, and the director's like, well, that's idea, but we kind of need to vet you to kind of verify these documents. You know, do you work for E-Corp? And Angela's freaking out. She doesn't like these type of questions. She's like, you know what? Can I have my documents and information back? And the woman's like, well, you know, we're just down the hall is where we're going to have this meeting. And she's leading Angela down to this kind of a dark hallway, like all the lights are on except for the one spot where she wants Angela to go. And Angela's like, you know what? I'm going to miss the last train. I'm just going to go. And she goes, but she came down all this way, Angela. Angela never said her name to this woman. So that even freaks Angela out anymore. Angela's very acutely aware of the very high-tech cameras that are in this hallway that she's kind of being followed with, and she just bolts. She leaves. And we'll get back to Angela in a moment because she ties into Dom's story. But the thing I want to talk about Angela here is, you know, what is she doing? You know, why didn't she go to, like, WikiLeaks? Why didn't she go to the lawyer before? Does she need, for some reason, to understand what the fallout is? Like, what type of poison is in the ground? I know she, her mother died. I know Elliot's, you know, father died. Like, what, why is she doing this? It's, it's a big question mark here. I know she made a speech about how to Philip Price about how she, you know, she wanted to do some good from within. That's that's the reason why she was she was there. This is why she's doing things. And I'm not sure this is the best way around. I think this might be a very significant mistake on the part of Angela. But like I said, we'll get back to her in a moment. Then we have the White Rose and Philip Price, and whew, so. White Rose, when we first encounter her, uh, she's with her assistant in a graveyard, and a beep goes off, and she, she doesn't want to be bothered. She's actually going beyond the time that she's allowed for this moment. And she's in front of the, the grave of the former CEO of Evil, of Evil Corp. And she goes to her assistant, do you know why I'm here? And he goes, this is, you know, blah, blah, blah. So she goes, yeah, this guy tried to stop my my project. He... Wanted, he was the CEO from like 1988 to 1995, and he wanted to stop because of what was happening at that plant. I mean, there was those lawsuits. So that's pretty much the time frame that Elliot and them and his father, you know, his father obviously passed away in that time frame. But 
Elliot's family obviously sued. This was initial class action lawsuits that were happening. And this guy, because of all this, wanted to shut down the plant. And White Rose didn't want anything to do with it. She goes to the, she asks the assistant, what do you think happened to this guy? He goes, he was in a plane accident. And she goes, I don't like that word. And he goes, he was in a plane crash. And she, and she was like, yes. And she's responsible for that plane crash. And then she says, I'm going to do the same thing I did at the man's funeral way back then. And she pisses on his grave. I mean, that's some pettiness. This whole, this whole episode is filled with a lot of petty, small revenge things. So the next time we see White Rose, we see her in her civilian form as Minister Zong. And she's meeting with Philip Price. And Philip Price is super pissed because what was unclear in the last couple episodes is very clear now is that E Corp, or at least I didn't get a clear indication that E Corp did not get that bailout money. They did not receive the bailout because of the FBI shooting. And Philip Price, rightfully so, is blaming White, White Rose for that. And White Rose is kind of like, kind of teasing and taunting her, if you, if you will, saying, you know, uh, you know, his country is going through these all these unfortunate things, especially what happened to his company and the economy. And Philip Price is just calling her on her, on her bullshit. And because of the, of the money that the company's hemorrhaging, which was expressed last episode, Phil Price just turns on her and, and basically says, you know, as of noon of this Friday, uh, of Friday, the, the U.S. government is going to take over the facility, his facility, the, the facility that they were supposed to keep in, in play, the, the Washington Township plant, and all the assets involved because E-Corp doesn't have the money to keep these facilities open. And White Rose is mad. She's like, is that a, like a threat? And Philip Price is like, basically hinting he knows what happened to the last guy, the last CEO, and he's basically explaining that a new CEO appointment is not going to stop the federal government from taking over the Washington Township plant. What will be, what will stop it is that the Chinese government will be very benevolent and, and give E-Corp a loan, the amount of money it needs to stay open at a 0.0% interest. And that a peaceful China will emerge as the, you know, a benevolent China emerge on the, on the global market as a, a powerhouse. And that's something that, you know, he can take to, onto the president's desk. I mean, White Rose, you know, kind of goes back with a threat and he comes back and says, you know, he's a mercenary. He doesn't care. When there's a mercenary involved, there's no decorum. No amount of order that White Rose uh, wraps herself around is going to protect protect her. He's going to rain all sorts of hell on her, and he doesn't care anymore. He's he's basically said, whatever next threat is going to be, it, it just basically means war, World War Three. So if he's serious, or I should say, she's serious, then he's going she's going to go back to China and do this. And she indicates as such that she could go back and talk to her government. But you know, at this point, Phil Price is not trusting White Rose. He doesn't really care. He's basically saying he'd rather watch basically the world burn if it means that White Rose is lose. He doesn't care if he wins. As long as White Rose doesn't get what she wants out of that Washington Township plant. Now, one other little point I want to point out is before they had this bit of a pretty volatile argument, they, they started out with some nice niceties. And White Rose was commenting on the fact that Philip Price's pet project 
was coming along nicely and that she's doing very well. The she, I, I guess, everyone's been assuming this entire season is Angela. And I'm thinking it's not Angela. I'm actually thinking it's Dom that is his pet project. And I will uh, get into that when I talk about theories. But they kind of started off with that. So let's get into Dom. Dom kind of intersects both the Angela and a little bit into Darlene's story. How she intersects into Darlene's storyline is that when Darlene, and we'll talk about it a bit more um, when we get into Elliot's storyline, but when she's listening on to a phone conversation, Shun's phone, while Elliot and Cisco are out to go to the Dark Army meeting, she's listening on the conversation, and they're having a conversation about a meeting with a woman in a hotel. And Sean was saying that the woman looked him up and down and wanted to fuck him. But she didn't have any shoes on and on all her toes were the same length and that turned him off. And the the reason why I bring this up and why I think this is Dawn is because when men brag to each other and, and do like a Barbados thing about women, when a woman does not want to engage with him sexually or whatever, or they think that this woman wants him, they kind of add a bit of color. They kind of big fish the whole type of thing. Even though it's kind of kind of clear that the woman may not be interested in the man, they always think, always assume, is how a number of men think that a woman wants to be with them. And I think there's a bit of a sexual big fish type of a deal that's going on here. And when Sean met with a contact into a hotel room, and that contact was Dom. And why I think it's a bit Dom is because Dom does this thing where she does kind of look people up and down, kind of like really zeroes in on the person, kind of takes them in full. And she's awkward and weird enough with the hints that we've shown so far about her that she would have feet of it, her toes of the same length all the way across. But the part where we actually see uh, Dom, and we'll get into the rest of it when we talk about Darlene, uh, about the conversations and this Darlene storyline there, is that Dom goes to Angela's home. Invites herself in as Angela's with Angela's favorite sandwich and sits her ass down in her in her in her place. Now, mind you, Angela's still freaking out from going to the, the nuclear regulatory body and having that conversation with this person. And Angela just looks at at Dom and asks her, "Who are you working for?" And Dom is like, "Working for who, Angela?" And Angela doesn't respond, and she goes, "You know what? If Dom does anything where she just kind of really talks too much." But she's saying something of relevance versus other people who talk too much and say nonsense. She says, you know, ever since Ollie Parker, you know, told her about the CD, which was the first thing out of his mouth because, you know, Ollie's a weasel. Uh, she's been having Angela followed, which is not a surprise given what we know about Operation Berenstein and what she did with Moby. So she knows about the visit to the regulatory nuclear body, nuclear body part. And she goes, you're obviously freaking out about something, so might as well tell me. I can probably help you. Angela's not really responsive to it. And so Dom kind of gives her a bit of a, kind of a veiled threat of advice. She, she says, someone's going to connect the dots, and that someone else is not going to be Dom. And they're going to grab her off the streets and put her in a dark cell. And she gives Angela her card. She also thought, does this thing where she talks about a dream she had about a beautiful woman and how the beautiful woman was drowning her. And as soon as she stops resisting, she becomes free. So she gives her Dom, she gives, Dom gives Angela that, that story as well as the card. 
And this is where I'm going to get the part where I'm going to get into some little bit theories before we go into a little bit about Darlene and Elliot. I think that, that Dom is talking about herself. I just don't think she's been given the ghost signal to snatch up Angela. I think, like I said, I think the pet project, the person that has benefited uh, Philip Price so much is Dom with his Operation Berenstein. I think Dom is responsible for the leaked memo to White Rose. I think when Dom went to China and she saw the Dark Army people, it was an indication of contact to Dom. I think the reason that Dom survived was because of her affiliation with the with Evil Corp and in, in a way with Dark Army. I think she personally, I think she has Tyra Wellick. I think she snatched Moby. And I think she also has Trenton. And the reason is, as I stated before, that Tyra Wellick is the fall guy. In order to have a fall guy, the fall guy's got to be alive. So Tyra Wellick is sequestered somewhere in a deep, dark, dank room somewhere with Moby and Trenton. And those three people are going to somehow be released at a key moment in time that benefits. And I, I'm thinking Philip Price is thinking it's going to benefit him, but mostly Dark Army. To take the fall for what's happened in the Deaf Society and allow for stage two to go forward. I think that's what it is because the government needs fall people. This has happened before. It happened, you know, what's is the kind of hacking group that has influenced the kind of the, some of the, the story structure and some of the things that um, F Society does. Plus, it was that group that was part of Anonymous, was one of the spearheads for that, and eventually got caught, and, you know, a lot of people went to jail. But Anonymous didn't die. In fact, it's metastasized and spread, and there's all these different heads and arms throughout the world doing all sorts of different stuff, both good and bad. But the movement itself did not stop. It didn't die like the FBI and all these law enforcement agencies anticipated and expected when they they caught what. I think that's what Elliot is doing. I think it's part of the stage two and part of the Dark Army stuff with giving this fall guy uh, is to allow for S society as a whole to metastasize and spread out. It's going to give people martyrs. It's going to get people to look into. It's going to show case again about the Operation Bernstein and the corruption and just showcase everyone's true faces that is going to metastasize the movement and propel the revolution that he's supposed to be, as Mr. Robots has stated, um, leading. Another thing about Dom is that when people are, when you look into like double agents and stuff like that, or people are doing wrongdoing, whether it be an embezzlement or some kind of thievery or some kind of wrongdoing, they always do their job kind of extra well. They're like super goody goody good at their job. Like beyond above a board. Just so it makes it appear because they think by doing that it makes it appear that everything is normal, that there's nothing to look here. But be because when you when you scrutinize someone at a significant a bit of time, you realize nobody's one hundred percent one hundred percent all the time. And when someone's one hundred percent one hundred percent all the time, it, it draws a bit of a suspicion. And I think that's what Dom does when she is, because she is so, she's doing extra, like the snatching and Moby and trying to take him, take him for about 12 hours. The putting together and even saying, blurting out Dark Army at the meeting and doing all this other stuff that she's doing all this extra work and even got chewed out by her boss because she's doing this. And he acknowledges that 
what she's doing is wrong, given the optics, as he says, but is, you know, police work, if you will. Uh, she's just being a bit extra, if you will. And I think that's just a, a guise that she's wearing so she can do the activities she's doing on behalf of Evil Corp and Dark Burn. So that's my theory with the whole Dom thing. Angela, oof. Like I said, going directly to the nuclear regulatory board while not going to like something like a WikiLeaks or the media or go directly online or using her, her lawyer is, is kind of suspicious. Um, you know, is Angela sick? Is this why she's so pressed on this? Is there something wrong with Angela herself? Uh, what is her end game? Uh, is she just really trying to get some kind of legal route of, of accountability and not this extrajudicial thing that society is doing? She wants to go within the box, if you will. I There's a lot of questions hanging on with the move that Angela has done. Her being like the insider, being a double agent working for F Society made sense, but this, this play that she has made, it doesn't really make sense. It makes sense with her as a character of the it, but the overall arc of like where she goes from here doesn't make sense. And it could make sense in the fact that she, unlike Elliot, doesn't think three steps ahead. She's very, you know, almost can say impulsive. Um, and maybe that's what they're going on here is that Angela is a kind of a do-gooder. She's a good person, fundamentally, really at the core, even with the cold exterior and some of the kind of like the socioeconomic um, bullying that she does when she gets put in the corner, particularly what she did with the plumber where she, her, her father's friend by saying she he was a plumber and she's like, you know, this wealthy person and what does he know kind of a deal that... Again, that she's she's trying to do the right thing. She's trying to do good from within. Not sure if that's going to work out for her, how that's going to play out. Hope she doesn't get snatched by anybody, but we'll wait and see. Now, with the White Rose deal, with the Washington Township plant, now that it's confirmed that it's actually a nuke plant, what is the White Rose's project? I mean... I know the obvious answer is that E-Corp is secretly making a fusible nuclear material for China to have a bomb. And you would store that type of material within a nuclear power plant or it would be created there. And maybe that's the reason why there's such high levels is because there's so much of that stuff and that's what they're storing. But that same, kind of seems like the easy answer. And we're gonna, I'm going to pull that out and talk about that separately because I have talking about the White Township plant conspiracy but the only thing that i have a question mark on it is if white rose is responsible for the, the project that at that's at washington township plant and that project is responsible for the the workers getting sick then why is elliot working with white rose in the dark army does he not know or does he know and he's basically pulling the okie doke on white roads that remains to be seen but that's a bit of a question mark and like i said i'm going to do a part two about the washington township plant and talk about the various things or theories i think may be being built now that we know it's a nuclear power plant and it's not going to be a, a quantum computer as i put forward that would be that was going to be tied to ecoin obviously those the the washington township plant and ecoin lane are completely two separate projects that are going on so we're going to talk about darlene before we talk about Elliot. So Darlene's been making some pretty significant fuck-ups. Uh, while she was listening to the conversation on Shun's phone about the woman 
at the meeting in the hotel place. Uh, she's also watching the news at the same time. And there's a commentator, I think it was like Grace Kelly or somebody on there, and talking about the, the, a drone had hit the Capitol building, which is part of the bro, the, I think it's, they're being called on, online as a, the frat F society wing. She's watching the news and she sees her video and she realizes something. And there's also a brownout that's happening at the same time that she forgot the tape that has her, the messed up tape that broke, uh, when the, on the episode of Susan Jacobs side and she forgot it at the smart house. She's looking and tearing through and she realizes that's the case. So when Elliot and Cisco come back from their dark, dark army meeting, she, she wants to go back to the smart house to still get it. And Cisco's like, no. And you can't go because the FBI is looking for you. And he's going to go. He's going to go to the smart, ha- smart house. It might not have anybody there. The, you know, the police might not even be there. It's been three weeks. Who knows what's going on? But he's going to go and he's going to get the tape. And here's where Darlene's fucking up. First, she left the tape, even though they did a complete wipe down in the house. Two, the reason why the FBI is looking for us, and that's nothing directly tied with the hack, but it has to do with that gun that she stole from the guy. Obviously, he gave up her name. A gun that we don't know was somehow used at the F Society's old headquarters in the arcade, and there was a microstamp thing on the, the casing. So, obviously, she never fully checked out the weapon. She didn't know that was the case, and so when it was used, it's going to get tied back to her. So that's one. That's the second fuck up she's done. The third fuck up is, um, and when we get into Elliot's story, is she doesn't know what stage two is, and that is a big fuck up because it looks like she has been pushed out of the loop for whatever reason. She thought she was working on stage two with her, with her. I call them team eyes. The too much antics that she's been doing, the too much she's been doing, even though she has been, I think, to some extent, successful in leading. F society getting these things going, going pushing through without Elliot there. She's actually not really working on the real stage two, and we'll get into that when we get into Elliot's storyline. But she's really been kind of fucking up, you know. She killed Susan Jacobs, which was her plan kind of all along. So there's a body, there's a murder, there's weapons. She left a tape. Who knows what other little tidbits that she's been leaving behind that can tie back to her? It could be. Given when we get into this Elias storyline, that the stage two that she's been working on with the the bull cutting off and the drone and uh, the videos and some of the protesting is and the ransomware is that she might be working on a decoy stage two. But when we get into Elias storyline, we'll we'll go into that type of theory and stuff like that. So this is the part about Elias. So we finally get the answer from the ending of last season of who the knock is on the door and. The theories which have been coming fast the last time, let's say three episodes, is that it's the police. Or I would say even with the prison theory beginning to take traction, that that was the theory and it's proven to be true. Uh, It's NYPDB. NYPDB. And he's getting arrested. And this is like, we're seeing chronologically on the episode. A petty moment, the first petty moment of the episode for the second on our discussion of the review. This is super petty. This guy, for most part, when people have disputes, maybe they'll make that initial police report, someone will get arrested. But for the most part, when it comes to a lot of 
petty larceny and in disputes. Mostly, they don't want to deal with the criminal justice system. They want to go through the process, taking statements, questions. It drags out months on end. It's like, gives initial arrest, don't want to deal with this guy, and a lot of times these charges get dropped. No, this guy, this guy was full on board. He wants Elliot done with. So, Elliot is taken in by the NYPD. Uh, he's given a few questions, which he lies about, you know, like, are you a drug addict? Are you on any medication? Uh, he meets up with his uh, publicly appointed lawyer. Lawyer kind of breaks it down for him, saying, you know, he's facing charges. He's saying he's facing a grand larceny because apparently the dog that he took is a, an expensive gift. It's a, a $1,200 dog, so it meets the threshold. And the lawyer's telling him, you know, just when the judge asks, just, just plead not guilty. So, Elliot's in the court courtroom. The judge is reading the charges. He asks Elliot, how does he plead? Elliot freezes. And then he says, not guilty. And the judge pauses and he goes, and he asks Elliot, do you understand what you're pleading? And Elliot nods and the judge has to say, you know, the the defendant, you know, nodded an indication of yes. And Mr. Robot shows up. And Mr. Robot's freaking out. He's like, what are you doing? And this is a, my, what I call the picture-in-picture picture moment. Have you ever seen those televisions or had those televisions uh, when you were a kid or a young adult where there was like a small picture in the, in the corner screen where you can watch two shows at the same time? Most people use it for sports or watching two games so they can switch back and forth or switch back and forth between, like, a television program and a game during during commercials. So he asked how often I personally saw this type of television being used. And he was just, he was just there, just yelling at the judge, yelling at Elliot, saying, what are you doing, what are you doing? And, and Elliot's, like, guilty. So the guy's looking at charges. He says, okay, 18 months in jail on all four accounts. There was, like, three hacky stuff because he hacked in the guy's social media accounts, but I guess they're like kind of misdemeanors or very low-grade felonies, if you will. So, Elliot, it gets sentenced. So, Elliot's sentenced to eight months in, 18 months in jail, so he's going to prison. Actually, yeah, prison, I should say. In this process of him going to prison, we learn that Ray's the warden, uh, the henchman that looked over him, is one of the intake guards. Uh, he goes through a very probably one of the most realistic portrayals of the intake process that I personally have ever seen on television or depicted even in the movies really. Most part you don't see this at all. They kinda like skip this part. But they Mr. Robot stuck with it. And then we meet Leon, this one that as he's going to the yard, Leon is like he's there. He's there to greet Elliot, if you will. He goes, you know, we heard about you twenty four hours, you were arrested, arraigned, and convicted. And kind of a bit of a shout-out to the Shang Jake Redemption. You're the only guilty man here. Um, Leon also gives uh, Elliot the kind of concept of getting a routine. He also gives a shout-out to uh, Paul Reiser, because Leon is talking through the routine process. He watches movies at night, and one of them was Mad About You, another New York-based show. You know, Sam is now as a big he, he loves New York. It's, it's his home. So, which is very funny because um, that night, Samuel Esmail, uh tweeted at Paul Reiser, you know, hey, catch catch the first opening part of our, our show. 
and you know Paul Reiser did, and he thanked him for the little bit of a shout out there to to him as an actor. And then Leon says, of course, that he's going to watch Seinfeld next. And he tells him, you know, he can get Elliot anything, anything he wants. He kind of lists the different things he gets. And, of course, it explains how uh, or how or why Leon gave Elliot later on, you know, back in the early part of the season, um, Ritalin. Uh, Leon points out Hart Car- Hart Carla, the pyro, who helps uh, Elliot burn his journal, a journal or a notebook, if you will, that he asked Leon to get for him. And then his illusion starts. His illusion starts as he goes into his cell, and instead of seeing the guard, he sees his mom. And then as he's laying down his head, uh, it kind of shifts into a room, his little desk space, you know, instead of being like this slab and concrete, is an actual desk, and the illusion that he had uh, forms. And he then speaks to us, the audience, his friends, that that's that's all there was. That's all that was left that he didn't state to us. So Elliot gets out. If, like I stated earlier, uh, it's been 86 days. He's getting out because of the hack. Uh, budget cuts to the prison system because he's a non-violent offender. He's getting out. This is not unusual. This is what happened um, in a couple of different states, like Nevada, California. California for a couple of reasons. One, because their prison system is very messed up, is overcrowded. They're actually ordered, I believe, not only by the state Supreme Court, but the Supreme Court itself to relieve the population because they don't have enough people or enough facilities to house the people that they have. So they start releasing uh, some nonviolent offenders. Uh, some other states did this during the economic crisis as well. This sometimes happens when these budget cuts do occur. So he, he gets out, and he's out either around August 5th like I said, or August 6th is when he gets out. So Darlene's there to greet him, gives him a bag of food, gives him a hug. I think he's probably one of the few people he allows uh, to touch him. He actually hugs her back. She does whisper something in his ear. We don't know what that whisper is. But we do see a black SUV, which we learn later on in the episode is Joanne's black SUV there. And they, they take off together. So Darlene and Elliot are on the subway. In the background, people, it seems people are more miserable this time around. And Elliot is in August. It's been, see, May 9th, so May, June, July. We're approaching almost 90 days. It's almost, whew, almost been like three to four months since the hack, if you will. And people are a little bit more miserable. You see a woman wearing a mask. I think that's. So I've been thinking about this for a while while people are wearing, like, surgical masks. And since we know there's been a strike going on, we know that people are on 50-day allowances, we know a lot of small businesses are closing, that if you're working for a place and you get sick, there's probably no sick days. In fact, you probably might even get fired. So if you're in New York where you're going to the subway or using the public transportation system, which is the most preferred method to get around in New York City and around all these people, like, all day, I say all day long, but he's getting from point A to point B, getting coughed on, breathed on. You probably want to do the best you can to protect yourself from getting sick. As maybe wearing a surgical mask, so you're not breathing other people's air, um, up and up your right in the sea, echinacea, any of those type of things to prevent yourself from getting sick. And I think that's why you see that in the background is a method for people to prevent themselves from getting sick so they can go to work because they have to go to work because if they get sick, they're going to lose their job. 
So Darlene's trying to give me the, the rundown of things. She's saying like Trent and Moby are missing. She hasn't been able to contact them for the last three weeks. Uh, Trent's parents, parents are freaking out. They've already filed a missing persons report, which is not good because it's a you know red flag, if you will, an indicator that if someone starts connecting the dots, as Don says, it's going to connect to people. Uh, Darlene's very concerned about the cleanup, about everything. About she thinks Dark Army's cleaning up. Elliot's like that doesn't make any sense because he thinks they're responsible for them getting out. Uh, she's concerned about their channel archives. She's concerned about everything. They stop talking because they think they're being followed. They go actually using some SEO things where you know when Angela told or Dar- uh, Darlene told Angela how to get to. Their previous hideout at uh, Susan Jacobs had to use all these different methods, and she said the same thing with the frat brigade of the S Society. How not to take the same way to the to the spot so it won't get blown. They're trying to do the same thing so they can go to Cisco's house. Uh, they try to lose a tail of mom at their their mom's location, which I'm not sure if it's a nursing home, a mental institution, maybe a hospice, because she seems to be. Um, Immobilized, if you will, not like in almost a vegetative type of state. But Elliot, Elliot didn't just want to go and pop in there to kind of lose a tail. He wanted to go in there and thank her. So he goes upstairs. Darlene doesn't go with him. And he thanks his mom for helping him during the walkout. So Elliot is at Cisco's. He's pissing alone, which he's commenting on for the first time as someone who's free to be able to do this particular activity. Uh, in the background, which kind of lingers, and I think there's a point to it, uh, was a picture of uh, one of the members of the punk rock right girl group, uh, Pussy Riot, which I will have a, sh- a link in the show notes. It's a great Russian punk rock group that's known for their activism and protesting. Uh, they were jailed, I think, up to almost three years for uh, doing a performance piece inside of a, one of the Russian Orthodox churches. Uh, they're very... Uh, vocal group against uh, the Putin regime. So that was a little bit of a shout out and nod to them. So he's pissing alone. He can hear Cisco and Darlene arguing in the, in the, for, you know, in the, the foreground or background, I guess you can say. And then he hears Mr. Robot's voice and it freaks him out because, like, how can he hear Mr. Robot's voice if he's in here pissing alone? And he looks and he can see Mr. Robot talking to Cisco and Darlene and they're talking back to him. He's like, how can that be? So he actually walks out and then Mr. Robot turns around and goes, what are you doing here? And then he and Elliot kind of almost like switch and morph into places, which is something that goes on throughout the episode. And I'll, I'll put a pin on that for a moment because as part of the episode, I'm really hesitant and unsure about but Darlene was like Earth to Elliot you, you still want to find Trent and Moby and he's like yeah I still want to do that and one of the parts of the conversations that Cisco and Darlene were having was about the RRC chats the dark army why you know Cisco's not telling them about stage two in the Phantom Cell and Elliot's like I want I want to meet you know, Cisco's contact, and Cisco's like freaking out. Did you guys like he's trying to convey to Darlene and Elliot that like, they don't know who it is they're dealing with, that these guys are serious people. But Elliot does kind of know who he's dealing with because he's met Neon. So Elliot's like set up the meeting, and um, what they do is 
you know, Elliot talks about how the five nine hack changed the world, that he, Trenton, Romero, Darlene, Moby all had this plan, all this idea, but there was also somebody else involved and that was the Dark Army and they never ever were ever to, able to figure out what the Dark Army wanted, what their motivations are. But they are now, and they use a real-life thing, which I'll have a link in the show notes, called a pon, uh, Pony Express phone, which is a, a, a pen, pen, pen tester phone. It's a, the ability to basically hack into different types of systems. It's called penetration testing. That's what pen is short for. And he wants to set up a meeting and hacking up his phone with Shin so he can get Shin to start talk, talking about stage two. And so they're listening on to the conversations. This is how Darlene found out about the conversation about the meeting in the hotel room. And then Darlene finds out about another conversation after Cisco and Elliot um, meet up with Shin. But Elliot and Cisco go off as Darlene stays and listens on onto the phone. Uh, what's going on there and monitoring stuff. And Elliot, he kind of, I don't know if he's one of those blackout things or whatever, but he... He's in a subway car by himself. He's there with a weird man that's playing some music in the background. Uh, he can see Mr. Robot and, and Cisco in the distance, but he can't hear them. He can't even get to them. He's kind of locked in the box, if you will, in the subway. He's freaking out, banging against the door. And then all of a sudden, he, he morphs into where Mr. Robot is, and he appears in Mr. Robot, and Cisco's looking at him like, are you nervous, man? Because... You can't be like this around these guys, basically. And Elliot's like, no, I'm fine. And they move on to the meeting. So Elliot and Cisco meet up with Shin at the library. And they're kind of like taken aback by the fact that Elliot was there. They leave, so Elliot asks what's going on. And he's like, you weren't supposed to be here. They weren't expecting you. So he yells at the Dark Army person. He says, tell the White Rose I want to know about stage two. Shun doesn't respond back, but walks away. So Ellie and Cisco and Darlene are, are back at Cisco's place. This is where Cisco, you know, Darlene tells Cisco about the VHS tape and how he has to go back to, you know, she wants to go back, but he ends up going back to the smart house. Uh, you know, tells him, Cisco's like, you can't go there because the feds are looking for you. You know, and that, but the, you know, you just can't go. So he's the one who goes. It's just, finally, it's him and Darlene alone again. They start talking. But as they're talking, Elliot is Mr. Robot, which indicates to me that Darlene might not be able to tell the difference, really, between Elliot and Mr. Robot. Um, Elliot wants to go home. Darlene's saying it might not be safe. It could be the Dark Army going to be there waiting for places. It could be the FBI. The places out might be bugged. It might be watched. But he's like, you know, I have to kind of go. I have to kind of do this. So he leaves to go home. And as he's going home, he sees the SUV. And it's the SUV of the man that he killed, or at least he thinks he's killed, Tyra Willick. And as he's approaching the, the SUV, the window drops down, and it's Joanne, and Joanne Wellick says, hello, Ollie. And that's because when they met the first time, he said his name was Ollie. And that's the end of Elliot's storyline. Now, for Darlene's storyline, though, we'll, we'll get into Cisco first, because Cisco, 
goes to the smart house. It's dark. It hasn't been raided. Doesn't look like the, the police or the FBI there, but who knows? Doesn't look like Dark Army. He finds a VHS tape. He picks it up. He hears a noise. And he finds either someone or something there near the couches. We don't know who because his storyline is there. He he ends in a cliffhanger. So we have Angela kind of in the cliffhanger at home wondering what the fuck is going on with the, the whistleblowing that she did and Dom showing up. We have Cisco. He is in the smart house and there might be somebody else in the smart house with him with the VHS tape. You have Elliot meeting up with Joanne Wellick. And now we get to Darlene. Now Darlene, she's listening to the fallout from the conversation that Elliot had with Sean. And she's listening on the phone and uh Sean's talking to his people and he's he, like, you know, he's he's um he's late. And the one of the guys tell him, you know how they feel about time. He goes, Well the trains were running late. He apologizes to White Rose. He's actually meeting with the White Rose. I was like, what's going on? And he's like, you know, you know, Cisco wasn't alone. And, and, and my brother was like, who is this? He was like, with Elliot, which causes Darlene's ears to perk up because they know Elliot's name. That's not something that they should know. And he goes, you know, why he's there? And he goes, he's asking about stage two. And White Rose is like, he didn't ask about his friends, the man and the girl. And he's like, no. And White Rose is like, give me your phone. He goes, I follow the protocols. He's like, give me your phone. This guy's a master. And that is when the conversation kind of clips. But before that conversation clips, White Rose revealed she doesn't understand what's going on because stage two is his idea. That's why she wanted the phone. That's why she's saying he's a master. And this freaks Darlene out, as she should be freaked out, because what the fuck? I'm going to put a pin in that for the moment. So Darlene gets this revelation that Elliot knows what stage two is. He's responsible for stage two. He's his plan, really. And she gets a knock on her own on the, at the door. Uh, brownout is occurring. She gets this revelation. There's a knock on the door. It's banging really hard. And she goes, she opens the door and she opens it wide and she seems to be startled by the people or a person that's at the door. So it could be Angela. I'm hoping it's Angela. Or it could be the police are finally there and she's going to get on. And that is the end of the episode. Uh, Elliot's a dick. Okay. Elliot is a dick. This stage two concept, like I said, where I think, you know, one of Darlene's fuck-ups is that she didn't know what stage two was and that she might be working on a stage two decoy. Whatever stage two is, that it, this is Elliot's plan. Elliot and Ms. Rowe out the same thing. This is Elliot's plan. He's a dick. He is throwing some people under the bus. He's keeping people out of the loop for whatever reason because, again, he has a bit of a hero complex where he thinks he's saving the world. He's saving his sister. He's saving Angela. He's saving the people that he cares about. Obviously, he doesn't care about Trina and Moby. Or Romero, for that matter. And he's whatever stage two is, it involves Trina and Moby, I think, along with Power Wellick, being set up, like I said earlier, for the S-Society hack to be the decoy group, if you will, to give. 
the FBI somebody or something to look after so that they can um, have their bad guy have their moment in the sun while he continues forwards with his plan. And in the end, I like I stated previously in the theory episode, theory episode, I think what this is showing is that in the end, Elliot is going to end up being the bad guy in all this. Just look at the world that has happened through his revolution. Even though it's been, excuse me, kind of minor and surface with the $50 allowances and the people burning garbage and some of the businesses uh, closing down, things are ratcheting up. The infrastructure is starting to crumble. Uh, you're having people striking out on the electric companies. You're having taxi cabs kind of being a little bit rarely, like even though they're accepting equine, I expect them to be next. Uh, people not being able to get sick because if they do, they're going to lose their job. Uh, the world that he has wrought as part of his revolution is it, hurting a lot of people. Romero's dead. Uh, Darlene is scrambling around. She ended up murdering somebody, somebody that she wanted to murder, but she still murdered somebody. Elliot was, wasn't there to stop her. Angela is in neck deep in some bullshit going on right now that might end up getting her killed. You know, and it looks like Elliot being the chess master that he is is sacrificing Moby and Trenton as pawns along with the the knight, if you will, the Ty Wellick as these players on the board for his end game. The other thing is that I don't understand how what Elliot doesn't know that White Rose is responsible for the project of the White Town, Washington Township plant. He must be. He must know. So why would he work with somebody that's responsible for, in part, for the killing of his father? Unless this is some kind of very complicated war to get White Rose out of hiding so he can take White Rose out along with Evil Corp and get his vengeance, if you will, to take out these one percenters that he feels are orchestrating and suffering and causing all the suffering because White Rose, in essence, as being part of the infrastructure of China, being part of the ministry, is part of the 1%. So that remains, you know, to see how this, all this fallout is going to go. I think that we're going to expect a lot of death, especially with the next upcoming episodes. There's only three left, I believe. We are going to see... Whew, I... I think we're going to see a lot of heartache this, this, the end of this season. Um, so that's it for this review. There will be a bit of a bonus episode as I kind of expand on and modify my uh, Washington uh, Township plant theory. But for now, there, there's a lot of questions going on, particularly with the whole Mr. Robot and Elliot switching back and forth. Given that they already needed a Made of a made an accord, if you will. I don't see Mister Robot tricking Elliot, and I know there's a theory that there's another personality that might be emerging, and Elliot maybe they're actually kind of overheating or burning out, like Mister Robot said about himself. I I I don't know. I honestly don't know. Um, that was a part of the episode I just really didn't like. I didn't like the switcheroo. It seemed kind of deceptive. But then again, it's one of those things where I think. If the next couple episodes kind of backfill in it and, and stick the landing, then it might fill in things for us. But that's it for this review. Thank you very much for listening. And until next time, logging off for now.
Thank you for joining us on this chat. You can find us on all podcast outlets such as iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, MixCloud, and any podcast catcher. You can reach us on Twitter at FSocietyIRC, our website at FSocietyIRC.xyz. You can email us at FSocietyIRC at ProtonMail.com. Our music attributes are under the Creative Commons license number three. The intro music is by Monk. The song is called The Planet Shakers, the Paragraph Remix. Our outro music is by Trevet Halbeka, and the song is Zeltikapa, as well as Kwana, and the song is Demons. You can support the show either via the QR code in the show notes by contributing with a Bitcoin or through PayPal. And there's a link in the show notes where you can PayPal me under Herosia Shai. If you're very into uh, cryptocurrency, you can also tip me through uh, Chainship at Herosia or one name at Herosia. Thank you very much for listening and look forward to hearing from you. Logging off. This has been a Herosia Shad Space Odyssey Network production.